Okay, welcome to our Patreon parishioners. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of bonus content. For this week's bonus content, uh, we just watched, we did another little scene study compare and contrast between the Ten Commandments and the Prince of Egypt. We watched specifically the scenes that dealt with the plague that was the death of the firstborn. If you have it, you can find both these scenes on YouTube. If you just search like Ten Commandments, Death of the Firstborn or Prince of Egypt, Death of the Firstborn, you can find them and you can watch them before listening to this bonus episode to have an idea of what we're talking about. They weren't very dialogue heavy, so we decided not to actually play them during this because it would just be us sitting there for three minutes while there's like... Yeah, there's weird music. So uh, I guess, Emily, could you describe for us what happened in the Ten Commandments version of this scene? How did the Ten Commandments and Cecil B. DeMille handle the death of the firstborn? I mean, he showed a lot of Yul Brenner uh, <laughs> going back arms. and forth. Yeah, just being like, this is a bad time. And also seeming to get angry at his wife, who you said is apparently a person that Moses was connected to slash in love with. Yeah. But then she ended up marrying the Pharaoh. Yeah. And the Ten Commandments, there's this weird tension because it's like this woman is in love with Moses, but then Moses leaves. And so she ends up marrying Ramses, but then Ramses knows that she's still into Moses. And so there's like all this, you know, love triangle tension. Mm, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm hmm. Yeah, so that was interesting and rough. And then, of course, like Moses comes to Pharaoh when Pharaoh is brooding, brooding with very little clothes on. He's brood. He's brooding, and he's like this perfect brooding. I really, listeners, you need he to watch like this. He looks like the thinking man. He's so like built. Yeah, it's but amazing. Any time that you need to like brood in front of a significant other, like it's like this perfect position to like show off your beefy arm muscles. Yeah, totally. That's true. It's he like does. look at my beefy arm muscles. No, yeah. don't look at me. I'm hideous. <laughs> no, look at me. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of one of those things. Uh, and then Moses walked off talking about something. I don't really know what, but he walked off stage, off stage left, and he was just walking and talking, and nobody could really understand what he said. And then it was very sad. Pharaoh's wife walked in with their dead child yeah. and was yeah. like, he is dead. And that was the end. Yeah. And like Moses was like standing there in front of Pharaoh and then starts walking away while like, proclaiming about the power of God and how God will lead his people out of Egypt and like keeps talking to himself and you can hear him like for like <laughs> two minutes as he's what? walking further and further and down so, the hallway. What is, totally off camera. what is he doing? Right. It's so strange. No one's listening I to don't... him. He's all by himself down the hallway and just... you hear him still echoing like, and God has the yeah. such power and just like weird. Really Just weird. in typical like Charlton Heston fashion, as I commented when we were watching like all of the Ten Commandments. And let me say, I do love the Ten Commandments because I do think it is amazing. But just the style of acting back then, I guess it was all very stagey, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And like, yeah, not a lot of nuance, not a lot of emotion, just Which, a lot you of know, like, presentation. I don't have much problem with like, I love stage shows. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. But it was fascinating, like, just watching this man walk off stage left, like, <laughs> continuing to talk and us being like, what What was that? Like, why is he still talking? Like, with nobody focusing on him. Yeah. They're just focusing on Yul Brenner being brooding, you know. Mm-hmm. It was very strange. Yeah. Very strange indeed. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the Prince of Egypt then, which is oh. very different from the tone of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. seriously. So just for our listeners who, if you haven't watched already, like basically, first of all, I just have to say that this scene in The Prince of Egypt 
traumatized me as a child and like scared the crap out of me because it's very spooky. Yeah. It's just it, this it's like super weird spooky. Yeah. spooky mist that comes out of the sky and goes through the town and like goes into the houses that don't have the blood on them. And like you just, it, there's no music. There's nothing underneath it. You just hear this like creepy breathing noise whenever a child yeah. dies. Yeah. Like yeah. rather than like screams or cries, it's just this like <sighs> sound. Yeah. And it's so disturbing. It's really mm-hmm. creepy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It really scared me as a kid. But then cut to they write in kind of a similar scene to the Ten Commandments where it's like Moses confronting Pharaoh after Pharaoh's child has died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's way And he sadder. like tries to touch him. <laughs> yeah. And Moses is like, don't touch me. You mean Pharaoh? That's the one, Pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch me. Yeah, but in this one, it's like they're friends and like Moses feels bad about it. Because right, they used the, to be brothers. Right. Whereas the Charlton Heston one, he's mm-hmm. sort of very know-it-all about it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, no, yes, well, uh, and then I'm going to mutter to myself down this hallway. Right. But yeah, in, in Prince of Egypt, it's like Moses is, seems very torn between wanting to like comfort Pharaoh, but also knowing that it's like, because like not, not his fault per se, because God did it, but like, you know what I mean? That he was involved and that God was doing this for him and it hurt this person who he grew up with so much. Yeah. yeah. And that scene ends. I just, I don't know. I've always loved the fact that that scene ends where Moses walks out, not talking to himself, <laughs> um, yeah. but he walks out and immediately just like collapses crying, like sobbing. Yeah, it's very and sad. it's so... I remember that always sticking with me as a child because this story had always been painted for me as this very like straight up good versus evil story of like, you know, Moses says this and the Egyptians don't listen. And so they get punished. And then the Israelites are victorious until finally they get to go. Right. Which is like the Charlton Heston version. Exactly. That it was like, oh, no, this has an impact. Like, it's still very Mm -hmm. sad. And Moses is still very sad that it's like he's had to kind of indirectly be responsible for like the deaths of all these children you know yeah Yeah. i mean it is pretty screwed up and very very scary i can't imagine like i know i saw this movie as a kid and i must have just been like i don't know whatever like they're not singing at this part so i'm not gonna pay attention exactly i'm like i sang the song and i didn't even care about what was happening in the film yeah it was funny watching that scene together like, because when you talked about the, you know, killing of the firstborn in Prince of Egypt being creepy, I was like, sure, but I don't remember it at all. But then when we watched mm-hmm. it, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember oh, yeah. being in the theater and watching this happen and like being like, being like Ooh, yeah, geez. And I think there's just something about like, I guess I appreciate any kind of biblical adaptation that like rather than focusing on the power of God, it kind of focuses on the human relationships Oh, yeah. Going because we don't get a ton of that in the Bible. Like it is all very presentational. Like this happened, then this happened, then this happened. We don't get a lot of commentary on like how people felt about it necessarily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the idea that it's like these really amazing and sometimes really scary and really awful things happen and it has an emotional impact. Like these people are actually human beings. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've also been trying to look up some stuff about Passover because I feel embarrassed about how little we all knew about <laughs> it in this episode. 
I know. Um, will you will you talk to us about it, please? <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, like we we covered most of it, right? It's this this thing that happened. It's kind of weird because it's sort of billed as a celebration of God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. Oh. But is like also okay. tied to this very terrible event, this, you know, most yeah. most horrible of all the plagues. Which is weird. Uh, one thing I did learn is that this original Passover happened about 1300 BCE. Whoa. So we are getting closer and closer to New Testament time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. But let's see. What I've learned basically is, um, gosh, basically that a lot of things about this holiday have changed over the years and that in different, what are they called? Like, not denominations, but like, Different sects of Judaism, different, different schools, sects of Judaism, schools of Judaism, yeah, yeah, and then and then other kind of related religions, I guess, like Samaritans, are brought up specifically. That there's like different dates that this will happen on in different calendars. One thing I did learn is that most Jews celebrate Passover for seven days, but who are they? The I've already blanked on it. The like uh, more conservative Jews, like Orthodox Jews, like the Orthodox or Hasidic Jews? Jews, Hasidic, the Hasidic and the Orthodox yeah. Jews. It's actually eight days. Oh, so I'm like, I, Extra I don't day. know how that happened. Yeah, got to right. get that one more day in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, what was it? The other thing. Oh, the other. Yeah, this was interesting. Is that some historians have maintained a hypothesis that there actually was this celebration already before oh, this story yeah. of Exodus was written and that this was kind of like two separate things that got combined into one holiday, much in the same way that like Christmas kind of came about by like combining pagan holidays with Christian beliefs right. and kind of making a new holiday. Obviously, many people disagree with that interpretation, but I did think that was pretty interesting that there's some kind of debate about yeah. all of that. But yeah, anyway, it's interesting. And then there's, of course, like very technical rules about the type of sacrifice that needs to be right, made and right. differences of between <laughs> of course. how it's done. Basically, like in modern day, it's not about sacrificing something and everyone having to eat it, but it's more about taking a certain portion of the food and kind of setting it aside and not eating it. Yeah. So there's kind of, it's definitely changed over time. But I did learn that we were correct in uh, <laughs> the way that we understood the amount of lambs that need to be sacrificed. <laughs> and that... Uh, Which is what? One? So that... You, you know, you keep your lamb for a few days and then you sacrifice it and you eat it that night, which was the 15th of Nisan, which is the name of that month in the Jewish Great. calendar. If the family was too small to finish eating the entire offering in one sitting, then an offering was made for a group of families. So that's kind of what, what Dedeker pointed out of like, it's like, no, one lamb per however many people can eat it, basically, because they have to eat it all but that I think night. actually, now that we're talking about it, I know we talked about Eid a little bit, that yeah, it's kind of a similar thing with Eid, that it's like sometimes families will pull their resources like mm. to buy a lamb that will get huh. sacrificed, and then they'll split the meat between themselves. But I think on Eid, you don't right. have to like eat the whole thing that same day. It's just about the sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. it was also interesting well. that this pointed out something that I thought about while we were reading which was the whole unleavened thing that in the Bible story. Yeah, there was unleavened all over the place. Well, but that in the Bible story, God's like, and you better eat unleavened stuff during this time. And then the story goes, they had to leave in a hurry and they couldn't leaven their bread. And, yeah. you know, when I was looking into this, it's like, well, we eat unleavened bread 
because in fleeing from Egypt, they didn't have time to leaven their bread. And so we're kind of doing it in remembrance of that. But it's kind of one of those things like maybe like we talked about with the binding of Isaac, where did someone come in kind of later and then write in that like God specified that too, rather than just we do this because we're kind of remembering what it was like at this time when our people fled and couldn't leaven their bread. That is interesting that like the story was... I remember reading it being like, wait, which is it? Did they not live in their bread because God told them or because they right. had to flee in a hurry? Like, what's right. what's the deal? Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that Passover research. Yes, I feel slightly better. Slight, just slightly. <laughs> slightly just slightly. It's just okay. We'll bit. still get the tweets from the people who know much more about this than we do. I hope so. We deserve And that's them. okay. We welcome it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again, patron parishioners, for tuning in. And we will see you next week. <laughs>